the digital transition. Digital Transition, a podcast series created to assist those tasked with implementing digital strategies, where we will share our knowledge and experiences to support you in your transition. Welcome to the Digital Transition, powered by Bond University's Building Information Modeling Program. I'm your host, Nathan Hildebrandt, and today I'm talking with Alison Watson about implementing BIM education programs into high schools across the UK and now here in Australia. But before I start my interview with Alison, I need to talk to you about our exclusive sponsor. So Bond University are leading the way in BIM education in Australia through their Master of Building Information Modelling and Integrated Project Delivery course and their micro-credential offerings. Now these courses were the first and remain the only university courses to be formally accredited by Building Smart Australasia. And these courses were also recognised internationally with a special mention for leadership in open BIM in education in the professional research category in 2020 in the Building Smart International Awards. So head over to the Bond University website via the link in the show notes to learn more about their educational offerings. So now let's move over to Alison. So thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us today, Alison. You're very welcome. The pleasure's all mine, actually, Nathan. Now, one of the things that I really love is having my guests here face-to-face. <laughs> now, for those that can't tell, you have a UK accent. You don't have an Australian accent. How's this happening? <laughs> oh, yeah, Cobber. Is that rude? I'm not sure. <laughs> no, thankfully it's not. But I even say good day because it's evening now, but either way. It, but- it's it's almost like as if we're talking in the UK in the day. This is how my relationships tend to work. I normally talk to people in the in the morning in the UK and my evenings here in Australia. So it's just as if you're uh, on the screen, but you're in real life, full yeah. size for once. Well, Absolutely amazing to be here, actually, because, you know, um, a few years ago, if you'd have said this will be in Australia, I probably wouldn't have believed you. And we do keep things quiet down under here. Do. We, we, we do. do. And we're not, we're not, we're not known to be too loud apart from around the cricket <laughs> season, which I think has been a joke we've heard too You're many times there, today. Not really. <laughs> no, no. Well, we'll see how things go in the series. But, but Alison, for those that don't know of you, and, and the incredible work that you do. Now, this is one of the things that the listeners probably don't know as well. I only got made aware of you only about six weeks ago, and, and since that time I've been very awe-inspired by the, what you're doing in industry. Can you just share a little bit about yourself? And I know you could, you could do a monologue for an hour about <laughs> yourself, but in a short description, I guess, tell your life story. Okay, I'll, <laughs> I'll try and keep it to at least three hours. No joking. Um so uh, I think it's important to mention at school, maths kid, pretty bright, didn't know what to do with that, didn't have any good careers advice, went into banking, it's numbers, hated it. Six years in a bank, met somebody in a nightclub. It was kind of love, I think, but certainly love with the job that the guy had. And I was almost coveted the job that the guy had because he kept talking about the outdoors. He kept talking about uh, using technology and so on. I thought I could have a bit of that. So I guess my first hot date with industry actually was, uh, on a building site in Sheffield. And, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, I, I love the industry. The, the guy went a few years later, but, um, but you know, that long lasting, um, wish I'd have had this when I was at school. I mean, six years of my life wasted because I didn't have the careers advice that I wanted. Yep. 
or, or needed. Um, so, um, so I got into land surveying, really, really loved it. Loved being outdoors. You know, I, I, I worked on some amazing projects and I suppose the most amazing project actually uh, was the UK government's Building Schools for Future program, a major um, uh, refurb or rebuild of all the secondary schools across England. Uh, and I was lucky enough to have some of that survey work, that initial survey work for, for more asset management, I guess, you know, show the government what they'd already got. Uh, I worked from East London right up to the northeast of England. And I think there was, you know, I talk, you hear about life, light bulb moments, right? So I was in school, uh, I was in Hackney. Uh, it was a school just uh, by Clissell Park. And uh, I'd got my total station set up. I was setting up a prism station, you know, for the geeks out there, you'll know exactly what I mean. For the non-geeks, <laughs> it's the most fun you can have with a total station. Not, but either way, you're away from this robotic total station, which is £30,000. You know, you value this thing like your mother. <laughs> you know, you look after it very, very well. And I had my back to Turtle Station, the bell went, I, you know, when you hear the elephants running towards you and you just think, oh my God. And I turned around and, and my Total Station was surrounded by big six foot young lads, 14, 15 years old. I was like, no. <laughs> and I dashed over, I always say faster than this Linford Christie, but probably most of the people on this call won't even remember who he is. <laughs> He's as old as me. Um But it was literally, they were really, really interested. They thought it was a camera. Uh it wasn't clearly. And I started to talk to them about, well, I'm a surveyor and this is measurement and we're doing this cool stuff. And the new schools were, were sort of being evaluated. Shall we build? Shall we not? The kids were starting to get introduced to architects. They really, really did not know what a surveyor was, what this instrument was, what it could do, why I was even there. The fact I was a girl was a bit mysterious in the first place because, you know, girls didn't work in construction. And I suppose in those days it was quite true. You you never really saw another female apart from maybe in the office on reception or something like that. Yep. Um, so I, I recognized in that sort of light bulb moment, my goodness, I'm actually useful for education, never mind surveying. Um, and I went through the BSF program, building schools for future. I worked on that till the construction recession really in 2008 and lo and behold, every single school, I'm thinking, this is a massive problem. Kids don't know what I do. Kids don't know the engineers that I work with and kids don't really know what an architect is. They thought they did. And there was that whole situation as BSF grew and we started to build schools and we're coming out of the ground or being designed and so on and tenders were being won that, you know, I, I was involved in some of those conversations that were called student engagement. We'd sit around a big table in a school, the architect would be there, the main contractor would be there, you know, the construction manager or something like that. I'd be there as a token female land surveyor. But it was this thing about, you know, talking to the kids in this real kind of, you know, what would you love in your new school? And the kids didn't have any clue really what to ask for. Mm. Um, and it was all almost prompted and, uh, and I just thought this time we are better than this as an industry and we could do so much more than just chatting to kids about what new school design looked like. We could actually be in the classroom and, you know, talking to kids. I mean, I, for instance, can talk about trigonometry till the cows come home because that's my job. So I just thought that moment in time, I'm going to write something. I was driving my husband mad by this time, complaining about school kids and what they didn't know. And they're just like me and it's not got any better. So I'm always a big advocate of this. You can be part of the solution or you can be part of the problem. Mm -hmm. And I know which side of the fence I sat on. So I gave up my job. My phone wasn't ringing. I wasn't surveying as much and I wasn't as busy. 
It was a horrible time for everyone the, the back end of 2008. But for me, it was a time to just give some thought to what could we actually do to change things, but not just a change locally, but a systemic change with the whole way that children are taught, what is academic, what is vocational, where do we place our industry? Because it wasn't particularly respected. And I'll quote this, the first um, school that I ever worked with, the teacher said to me, uh, our thick boys go into construction. That stayed with me for all these years. Mm. I mean, how it's derogatory, but actually, you know, it's kind of the kids that are considered to be not academic are channeled into the construction industry. I don't know whether education just has this thing that we aren't very bright in industry, but we have so much potential. And if we could have got to those boys when they were 11 or nine or five and help them understand that maths is absolutely uh, applicable to everything around them, maths is everywhere, right? Yep, um, certainly is. Then we could have maybe given them the chance that they needed and they wouldn't have failed and they would have been on to better things. And we could have saved the government a hell of a lot of money and benefits for a start. So, so you, you know, with that kind of problem solving brain that I realized I had in high school, I started to solve problems in education and that sounds really arrogant, but construction needed a problem solver for its built environment pathways. And I guess the timing was right. Serendipity, maybe yep. nobody talks about a recession as serendipity, but you need time to do this stuff. And my six months turned into 15 years. <laughs> and I'm still at it. <laughs> so that six month break, yeah. it, it turned into something. It turned into a program yep. or an organization called Class of Your Own. Mm -hmm. Now, this is another kind of cool thing. And, and this is what excites me because of the ideas I have about helping helping industry move forward and become smarter about what they're doing and hence why the podcast exists to start with. Mm. But class of your own, what, what is it? What exciting thing is it? What, tell, tell everyone about it. Okay. Well, first and foremost, let's go with the name. Why is it class of your own? Okay. So children were commenting on schools and schools are huge things, you know, 20 million pound build. It's a huge, huge, huge project. Okay. Yep. And schools, kids are little. Schools are big. So why can't we do a little school? So the whole point of class of your own was classroom of your own. And, and actually class of your own was a class of your own before it ever became a thing, a, a social enterprise as it is now. And I wrote a workshop where kids actually of sort of 12, 13 years old, I wanted them to understand that, you know, these sort of buildings aren't just designed by an architect, which a lot of kids had still never heard of anyway at that age, but they're, they're built by builders and designed by architects. That's as good as it got. I wanted to show the myriad of people who were involved in that school design. So I said, let's trim it back. Let's do something maybe the size of two classrooms. Mm -hmm. Let's teach the local community about being sustainable because at that time, you know, in terms of the whole Briam agenda and, you know, schools were achieving very good. And I remember our first piece of work that we ever did with, with, with kids. And I say, we, it's just me and a, a load of mates. We used to just get together and get kids to be architects and engineers and surveyors and try to understand the whole people who put a school together. I'm a land surveyor. It was always going to be first. If you don't understand what space you've got, how can you possibly design? So we land surveyors are critical to every single project. Nobody's heard of us land surveyors. What the hell is that? So, um, 
So, but, but what was really interesting, I remember the first time we sat down with a group of kids, it was GB building. I can't remember the architect's practice, but it was a big school in Manchester. Um, and, uh, and it was around Cheatham Hill and we were working with just, you know, half a dozen kids, uh, Abraham Moss school, big up if you're listening, Abraham Moss, because you should be doing the program now <laughs> and, uh, and you're not, uh, just saying. Um, but, but it was really interesting because we went on that kind of architect contractor round table boardroom. What would you want from your school kids? And, and this 13 year old boy, I will never forget it. This 13 year old boy said, can you tell me why my school is only Brian very good? Okay. I've just seen your eyebrows go off, off your head. <laughs> we were the same. You could have, you could have heard a, heard a pin drop and the architect looked at the construction manager and the construction manager looked back at him and he just said, oh, well, you know, whatever waffle that they gave him, the boy said, uh, and the, the boy said, I challenged that, you know, just make me understand, make me understand why it's not excellent. Mate, why is it not outstanding? <laughs> And uh, so it was a very, very difficult conversation. Eventually, the architect said, look, to build a truly sustainable building that meets all the requirements of the UK government's mandate costs a lot of money and we just don't have the budget. We're not being given that kind of budget. And this boy, I kid you not, and again, it's one of those things that you always remember, same as the thick boys going to construction, not. This boy turned around to this architect and he said, so you're telling me that your profit means more to you than my planet and my people. You know something, this was 2000 and, oh God, nine, 10, something like that, you know, way before the sustainability agenda was even a thing, SDGs. What the heck, what the heck yeah. was that? For this young man to come out with this is because we'd worked with him, explained to him about facilities management, about good design, about sustainable design, about the things that, you know, we could be looking to do, do through a school building program. So he understood. And the question was totally legitimate. And it made very uncomfortable conversation when the designer and the constructor of that school was having to say to the end user, actually, we can't afford to think of your planet and we can't really afford to think of your people because we don't have the money to do that. Yeah, and I'm, I'm, guarantee I'm guaranteeing that the profit wouldn't have been that high. <laughs> well, you know, it kind of brings me back to BIM because – you know, we were doing 3D modeling and visualizations then. I say we, the construction industry was yep. doing 3D modeling and visualization. We were showing pretty walkthroughs and the mm. head teacher was going, can I have my uh, room not overlooking the car park, but over my lovely green playing fields? So that's how a visualization was being used. Yep. So my argument is if they'd have used BIM back in the day in the sort of Building Schools for Future program, 2004 to 2010, until um, our dear friend, Mr. Gove, pulled the funding, it would have been different because they could have checked that building. They could have made it hugely energy efficient. They could have run the analytics and built the school that the children wanted. And indeed, even when I think about teachers now, at the time I was talking to teachers and saying, are you getting the school that you actually want? Because at the time there was a huge amount of money. It was almost free for all, you know, spend mm. what you like, these amazing school buildings. And they were amazing. And they are, I mean, they're still standing. I will say Nosley was a bit of a, <laughs> you know, it's horrendous Nosley. And they, they did the sort of open plan schools and within months they were putting walls back in because our teachers were never engaged in that conversation. Let's build a school like Finland. Oh, and by the way, we'll tell the teachers later that we're doing that. So that whole <laughs> 
engagement piece. I'm sorry, architects, it's not your fault. I know the government drove you, drove you to do this, but I was there in the thick of things. I was talking to the teachers and the students. The teachers were, were, were coming to their DT classrooms and finding ovens that were wide enough to take 12 buns with a class of 30. I mean, come on, we can't even get the ovens right. BIM would have resolved that. Maybe, maybe you not. Specified. You're still going to have people, a part of that collaboration oh, process totally. at the start to actually say what they actually need rather yeah. than just assuming what they need. Up and done to rather than done with. Yeah. Now, the, the interesting thing is, is that, you know, you're sitting here right here across from me in my office. Ranting. <laughs> no, no, but the thing is, is that you're here in Brisbane, Australia. Yeah. And you're here from the UK, of all places. Why are you sitting here in Brisbane? What's the reason that brings you here to Brisbane this week? Okay. So for the last more or less 15 years, class of your own, you know, that six months pet project that I had that, you know, was- Never ended. <laughs> never ending. Yeah. Yeah. My husband was so grateful. And now he's saying, why didn't you stay as a surveyor? Because I never shut up 15 years of yucking in his ear all about how education could be. So interestingly, I mean- I've always said this, our education systems may be slightly different. They're not hugely different. We still deal with 11 to 14, 14 to 16, 16 to 18, onto university, onto apprenticeship. But the way we build is the same, or aspirationally, the way we build is the same. Whether we're BIM or not BIM, please be BIM. It's useful for kids, but maybe come on to that. But the fact is that we build the same. In the Western world, we build the same. We're all professionals. We want to make buildings safe, secure, uh, user-friendly, fit for purpose. So, you know, word gets around a little bit that there's this thing that the Brits are doing. I never wanted to be that pom who comes over and tells you how to do it because I'm all about knowledge sharing and and collaboration. Absolutely. Um, But a few little birds uh, heard that we were doing this thing. I was working with uh, Bentley Systems, um, Andrew Compson, great friend of mine now. um, He'd heard some of our children speak in Singapore and he said, I'd love to do that in Australia. Um, So he sent me an email and said, is there any way we could do it? I have a great school, Cecil Andrews College in Perth. Stella Jimman, amazing head teacher. Because this is the thing, you know, if you're going to do this kind of very, very innovative, digital, quite scary, you know, non-curricular subject, so not non-standard subject, yeah. it should be standard. We all live in this built environment. It should be mm-hmm. standard, but people don't get that they live in the built environment. So, uh, so Andrew was really quite passionate about bringing it to Australia and Stella, amazing woman, um, really, really gets the value of project-based learning and STEM and built environment was very, very real. And the kids that, um, are at, at, at uh, Cecil Andrews, you know, really, really diverse school, uh, from, you know, quite a deprived area in fairness in Perth. And it's probably not the thing that most kids in those areas in the same way as the UK would, would, would have access to. So it took this really, really um, progressive guy with a progressive head teacher and a really, really amazing staff, um, you know, Steve and Sean and Aaron at the school, just amazing teachers who, you know, live and breathe for children, uh, absolutely live and breathe it. And they could see the opportunity that Design Engineer Construct, the program that ultimately I created from all this, you know, gibberish <laughs> that I was spouting in my surveying days. They said, well, let's, let's give it a try. Let's bring it to Perth. So we run the program during COVID again. It was challenging. I mean, Aaron, big up to Aaron, the teacher there, he was uh, formerly an architect. So he understood the value of the built environment, the value of working with children and how their own ideas 
were amazing to contribute to, to school design and so on. And, uh, and then, um, I, we, we need a sponsor for every school. It's really important that every school has an industry partner. Um, and schools, you know, they can't, afford things where a social enterprise is a, a fee, unashamedly a fee for what we've done over the years. Um, but when you think about how companies needed to demonstrate social value and, and uh, equality and diversity and all the things that is a mantra now mm-hmm. in the industry, work with uh, top composition systems for years. I used to work there as a surveyor for a couple of years. I've always used Topcon. Uh, the guys there have always said are like a family to me. They're, they're, they're lovely people. Ian Stilgo, Dave Bennett, you know, Andy Clifton, amazing guys. Uh, and, and, and I, and I'd work with the guys, you know, there's a few guys here in Australia. I spoke to Ian Stilgo and I said, is there an organization that might adopt a school? It's a program that I set up for industry with Mott McDonald uh, in 2012. I really wanted that industry engagement to be curricular based, not just box ticking based to win a bid. And, uh, and Ian said, yeah, I think position partners might be really, really interested. They do loads for schools. They do loads for kids. So I was put in touch with position partners and well, the rest is history, really. They said straight away, I mean, it took two weeks to agree that they would sponsor this school. I can take years with some of the biggest names in industry to get them to support schools. They, they talk about young people, future, talent, but to get them to actually support this program directly and fund it, Oh my goodness. It was hard work. And position partners just said, yes, like that. Yep, like just, that. Just like that. <laughs> just like that. And then Matt Thomas, great guy based in Brisbane said, Ali, you're doing this in Perth. I've got an amazing school here in Brisbane with a guy, Brett, a teacher who absolutely is doing amazing things in GIS. We know that the survey industry is in decline. We know that people, uh, kids are not, they don't know about survey. It's, we need to recruit. And I had that conversation. Well, it's not just survey. It's probably every discipline. We are struggling massively. And this is where our two countries are so similar. Yep. We have this massive, you know, gap in awareness, Never mind the skills gap. Yeah. I've always argued, um, you know, our, our kids, it's not a skills gap. They've got amazing skills, digital innovation, Kids are really, really where it's at. I mean, they teach us so much, don't they? So it's not a lack of skills. It's just a lack of awareness of where to apply them. That's and the construction industry never comes into it. They're no. not taught about it at school. So I got talking to the teacher, Matt, Brett and I hatched a plan. And, uh, and then lo and behold, uh, <laughs> big up to you, Nathan, because um, a lovely lady, uh, Christina, I, I, she saw me blog about Australia and that we were coming over to Brisbane and she said, do you know Nathan? <laughs> no. Okay. You need to know Nathan. And if you don't speak to anybody else, you need to know Nathan. So this is not blowing smoke, Nathan. I'm going to say it live on air <laughs> and, and people, I'm really a bit afraid because you know, if there was ever a a male version of Alison Watson and believe you me, it's bad enough with one on this planet. Never mind another one. I think he's here in this room. <laughs> oh, I don't and know the rest that. is history, right? Well, no, the thing that excited me the most when, when we first had our conversation and you said that, you know, when people talk about things in serendipity, you, you asked you which school in Brisbane you were visiting. <laughs> it's true. And uh, I, 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 at the time I had my mother sitting beside me because I was watching a football game because it was running late. <laughs> 
you know, anyone that knows I'm a bit too much of an AFL supporter. But I'm sitting there at the game and and you've told me that the school you were going to and running this pilot yeah. project was Wavell High School, which I'm an alumni of. So I graduated 25 years ago from this school and haven't been back really since. And uh, I thought no perfect time, no better time to reconnect and seeing that uh, this program that you're putting together is going back to a school that essentially started my career off in many ways because although at the time programs like this did not exist. No. I knew where I wanted to be. So I didn't, I wasn't one of these students that had confusion uh, and all that sort of stuff. And for me seeing uh, that this program existed, because I didn't know about it here in Australia, we didn't know about it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And going, you know what, this is a great thing and this is something that I want to see more of and, I want to see how we can help support people starting from kids mm-hmm. all the way through into their careers because once they're in their careers, they should hopefully have industry which supports them uh, in terms of through their career. But the the thing that's really important is understanding, obviously, as a school, you know, through schooling, students are then finding a reality behind, you know, some subjects. So when uh, curriculum is taught in school and even in university, the curriculum may seem ambiguous because there's no real tie to anything of reality. It's kind of like Mm -hmm. just you need to perform these equations, you know, and sometimes, you know, the one that I always remember from algebra is always those two trains, you know. Why is it always going to be about two trains going at certain <laughs> speeds? Um, why couldn't it be something about algebra, about certain things regarding construction or something like? But what are you seeing? So this is a program you've had in place now for 15 years. Mm-hmm. What difference is this making for students that are, well, there's there's a myriad of different things I want to ask you about with regards <laughs> to this because it's just like this is where it's making the difference, right? But first of all, um, and and hopefully later in this podcast series, or this year or next year, I, I really want to interview Gabby to talk about yeah. her journey, so that we get the the, the first person perspective of actually going through this program. But what difference is this making for students when they actually land in university? Oh well, <laughs> well let's even talk pre-university because actually what's interesting in the UK apprenticeships are big things now. Yep. We, we have a level three, level four, level six. Mm-hmm. We have level two and level one. They tend to be more um, trade oriented, but but level three, level four, level six. So even my geospatial industry, level three, geospatial, level six, geospatial, science and mapping. And even given geospatial, the word science suddenly elevates it because we are a science. Geospatial is science. Yeah. Remember when I first met some guys from NASA at a Bentley Symposium years ago, you know, it, it, it's science. If you're going to do Mars and space and, you know, we're going to all live on the moon one day, you need to know geospatial if nothing else. We don't want to talk about is it 100 metres, 100 metres or not today. All right. <laughs> let's, not, let's not go there. Oh, my goodness. Let's not go there. But, yeah, so impact on university. We have kids who get to 16 years old who say, actually, I know I'm going to get all my top grades for my GCSEs in England. And forgive me, I'm, you know. ATARs here in Australia. Yep. That's the word. But they see the value of of not only, it's not really the, even the earn and learn. They want to learn in real life. Yes. So actually we've had some of, I mean, I'm going to quote Matthew Bates and Lauren Cunningham from one school in, in Manchester. Mm-hmm. 
I'm going to talk about Daniel Bateson, you know, his brother. So two brothers went into the built environment, very different pathways. And they're both amazing children. And, and hi, mom and dad, if you're listening, because they had amazing parental support as well. Don McDonough was a teacher. He started teaching deck. You know, he's one of the first teachers to ever teach the level three and all the way through from school. And I remember when I first met um, Daniel Bateson, um, Daniel, uh, the school was adopted by Langer Rourke, who are pretty big here, right? Yeah, they're and, a big company um, in both yeah, Australia indeed, and the UK. Yeah, indeed, absolutely. So, so Daniel, Daniel's school was adopted by Langer Rourke. So this is Daniel's school, Lauren's school, Matt's school, different year groups. Langerock came along and Langerock was starting to develop an apprenticeship in digital engineering. Mm -hmm. You know, it wasn't going to be called BIM because that's kind of not a thing for an apprentice. So Langerock, you know, all these sort of digital guys, they call them digital engineers. That's a, that's a thing from years back. Uh, at least 10 years ago, uh, Langerock had adopted the digital engineering terminology and they were doing loads in uh, monumental construction. They got an amazing site um, over near uh, Wakefield, near you know, in South Yorkshire. They were doing some really, really quite progressive stuff. And when the guys came in to adopt the school, the children were so inspired by Langer Rock, by you know, building service engineers, mechanical, electrical, uh, uh, land surveyors. We had some land surveyors. Um, we had uh, you know, design engineers, digital engineers, and so on. And I remember Daniel saying, I want to be a digital engineer for Langer Rock. Okay. Mm -hmm. So he went 13 years old, 14 years old, picked his GCSEs, deck design engineer construct was one of those, worked through, amazing student. I remember um, him presenting at 16 years old to a major conference in Manchester and everybody was just blown away by the confidence of the 16 year old and the stuff he was talking about, you know, BIM energy, energy efficiency. And this is again, you know, nearly a decade ago. And, um, and Daniel went on into 18 years old when he was 18, he said, I want an apprenticeship. Langerot gave him a degree apprenticeship. He's been working through that apprenticeship. Came out with a first from Liverpool John Moores University. And guess what he is now today? An architect. No. <laughs> no, no, that's funny. He's a digital engineer for Langerog. He's a smart Bum -bum. cookie. He's, He's a, a smart <laughs> cookie, right? He didn't get in the architecture part. But, but his brother, you know, his brother chose to leave school. Super bright kid. Really, yeah. really great guy. Uh, chose to leave school at 16 years old. Go to Mott McDonald in Manchester in Altrincham office. And there's a great guy, Jason, uh, in, in, in the Altrincham office, Jason Hyde, who really saw the value of nurturing kids younger. Mott's never take on 16-year-olds. It's always, you know, at least 18 and graduates. And I can remember Jason massively supportive about this program, young graduate himself. He knew the value of, 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 of learning on the job and so on, even though, you know, himself, an amazing uh, uh, engineer and a great friend of mine now. And Matthew left school at 16. He should have gone A-levels. He should have gone university. He didn't. He went a level three apprenticeship, then a level six apprenticeship at university. And he's at university now. I think what kids fail to understand and probably what a lot of educators don't understand because they're not told it's a thing, is that you can do the degree. You can go the university route, but it you can also learn so much by going in industry. It takes a little bit longer. You've got no student debt. The employer's paying for everything. Lauren Cunningham left six, left at 16, went to Michelle. Michelle were bought out by WSP, headhunted by Sweco, doing an amazing job with Sweco, highways engineering, did some time with Balfour Beatty on Secondment. 
Lauren Cunningham, Googler, Lauren Cunningham, Sweco. She's the most amazing young woman in engineering. You know, she could have gone architecture. She could have gone into finance and law. That was what she, she designed an equine center, right? For a GCSE project because she loved horses. Yep. Heating and cooling, not just a nice stable design, you know, it was heating and cooling, the engineering of it. Passed a, G, a, a deck level two with flying colors. And now he's on this trajectory and she will one day probably own the company and uh, sorry, the chief exec of Sweco, but you know, I'm probably right. <laughs> it's a big organization. I know another young lady there that, that, that transitioned across into that organization as well. And there's some amazing people out there now. Yeah. It's, it's kind of, it's kind of interesting that you touch on Lauren uh, yeah. as at the end of that, at the end of that point. Uh, and, and this is a controversial part of the conversation and, and, and one only because of, you know, it is a topic that gets discussed quite frequently in industry, mm-hmm. and it's about women in women in architecture, engineering, construction. Yeah. And the one thing that I think that's really, really uh, positive about all of this is that you're approaching this at the right point in time of when people make their career decisions. And mm-hmm. apart from the challenges that, that that women face, and you know, I'm saying this as a white man, and how funny is this? <laughs> Uh, women face within within the industry in terms of glass ceilings. Yeah, they face possibly in university. I don't know whether there's any of that sort of stuff going on, but it's very difficult for us to solve half of the problems with equality in terms of the number of women being within in the industry while they're in an industry or even in university because the decision has to be made earlier mm-hmm. for someone to enter the study to actually progress and become one within this. Yeah. Are you finding that because, you know, the one thing that I really loved that you talked about before was, you know, the guys all standing around surveying, you know, total station going, <laughs> oh, what's this cool camera now? I think they're probably <laughs> going to get on, you know, some social media channel. But mind you, social media wasn't that big 20 years ago. No, it wasn't. Uh, there's no such thing as TikTok. But because of this program, are you seeing more young ladies showing an interest because they're being exposed to this these subjects so they can see that there's actually, oh, this is actually something that I might be interested in. Yeah. Well, you've heard the phrase timing is everything, right? Yep. yep. So, um, and I'll talk about the UK curriculum because I think, you know, we are very similar in our curriculum approach, UK and Australia. So up to the age of 14, before you choose kind of the next level of education at 14, 16, you can't just dip out of a subject. You can't say, I don't want to turn up to class today because I didn't choose to do this. Yep. So if you think about primary school being the same, one teacher teaches everything. Mm-hmm. And then you go into secondary school and suddenly you're going into lots of different classes. So your classes, you know, you're in your timetable, you know, you're not used to going from English to history to physics. And then the next day you might do double biology and then into German and then into geography. So this whole mishmash is like somebody designed a timetable where they just get We've got to get through all these subjects. Let's just throw them up in the air and wherever the land will teach them. So children have to be really kind of um, uh, grown up about their whole approach to learning when they get into secondary school. You grow up very quickly, right? You go from primary school where you're nurtured and you've got the nature table and lovely Mrs. Jones, who's always been there for Uh, you. uh. And then suddenly you've got eight or 10 different teachers. So it's a bit scary. Okay. But the one thing you cannot do at 11 years old when you move into secondary school is choose. Anything. You go where you're told to go. Yep. Now, don't take this the wrong way, you and all your listeners, but 
There's not a lot wrong with conditioning children to believe that the construction industry is for everyone, right? I don't well, think there's anything wrong in what I've just well, said. We, well, we all yeah. live in the built environment. So we all de- live there. It d- depends upon the, the view of what that may mean. Well, if I want to go home as an 11-year-old after I play footy or netball or whatever, you know, boys might play the netball and girls might play footy, but I'm going to go home and have a bath or a shower, right? Yes. We all have a bath or a shower. At least we hope we do. <laughs> <laughs> At least once a year. Well, I don't know about being poms, you know. We were talking about that another day. <laughs> but we turn on the tap and that water comes through the pipe. You know, and that's engineering, right? Mm. We all uh, like the design of our house. We change the design of our bedroom. We stick things on walls, whether you want to call that interior architecture or architecture full stop. So we live in a home, a house. We take a shower and a bath. We all do the same thing. We absolutely live and work and play and be educated in the built environment. So we can't deny that the built environment is everywhere for everyone. So how about this idea? What if it was a world where everybody saw any career as for anybody, because that's the world that we live in. Because at 11 to 14 years old and pre-11 or pre-secondary school, you are in that world. You can be taught that it doesn't matter whether you're a girl or a boy or you haven't quite decided yet. You can study something where suddenly the light is turned on, that you know that abstract mask that you think you'll never use? The trains? Yeah, the trains are my yeah. favourite. Oh my goodness. Who knew that this room is square because of that? Or this room is, you know, X times Y times Z. It's a physical thing, the built environment. And you know, when I was at school, if you needed applied maths, it's because you weren't clever enough to do pure maths. What rot? If you've no purpose for mathematics, what's the point in mathematics? So from 11 to 14 years old, when you can teach children exactly what you want to teach them, as in defined by the national curriculum, that's the place for the built environment. And I think teachers, it's interesting, and I'm going to quote this because the lady, uh, I was in Bangkok at the weekend for a big conference, and and this lovely teacher has told me I can quote her quote. Um, She actually, I I did a big presentation on Sunday morning in Bangkok for the fantastic Fabicia group of uh, British international schools. And um, and the lady... um, I said to her, can I use your quote? Because that's amazing. This lady from Lancashire, who's now teaching internationally uh, in schools uh, abroad in Southeast Asia, she said, I was at the conference this weekend. Mm -hmm. I loved your presentation. If I'm honest, I nearly stayed in bed because I didn't want to hear about construction. I was so glad. There's a lot of O's there. So glad I didn't. Keep being fabulous and flying the flag for construction in, in education. I presented the built environment as I know it. I didn't present some newfangled, incredible stuff. I said, we are digital, we are progressive, we are engineers, we are architects, we are surveyors, we are engineers, construction managers, we are all these things. This is the built environment. And you know this great big Marriott hotel that you sat in? This was designed by somebody, engineered by somebody, and constructed by somebody, and maybe it was done using BIM. I talked about BIM an awful lot. And suddenly the guys who were teaching IT are going, we don't do that in IT. <laughs> we use Excel and we do a bit of coding to code a bird that hops across the screen. And I'll say, use that coding for the built environment because we code everything in the built environment. Well. We hopefully will. There's a lot of people that still don't do much of those things, but well, maybe, we're maybe. slowly moving forward. 
but do you know what's interesting? We had a, so Gabby's over from Sheffield at the moment, King yeah. Edward School, amazing school, amazing teacher, amazing children. And Gabby Anderson has a twin sister. I'm a twin. I'm going to shout up for the twins, but, but there's Gabby and, and Maddie who's taken different routes. Gabby chose deck. Gabby cho- chose art. And Gabby was, uh, and Maddie, her sister chose art. And Gabby was saying today that she put a portfolio forward to apply for university this is unbelievable. I, I, I find it staggering that this was the response from the modern architectural school. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. find it really, really quite weird. And, and maybe this is a thing. Maybe I'm, I'm, maybe surveyors are more technically oriented or technologically oriented than architects. And sorry, architects, if that's not true. But we're in a digital world, right? Where the whole world is moving to smart cities. Everything's smart, you know, COP28. We're analyzing buildings and their energy efficiency through, you know, smart computer digital transformation. You know, unless you're asleep, this thing has been around for a while, right? And she told me this thing, and I'm going to ask you what you think about this, actually. It's almost me interviewing you now, Nathan. So (laughs) Gabby told me that she'd sent her portfolio into university and they asked her to send in more sketches. Now you've seen her portfolio and people are going... She was six, 16, 17, 18 years old, did this. Wow. She designed a um, uh, home for the elderly, but also was thinking about the staff and their needs. You live, you're in there a long time working shifts. You need a bit of well-being time for yourself as staff. Designed this amazing building that is hugely sustainable, all using BIM tools. Now, if I presented a portfolio that you've seen and you were a university, would you turn around and say, please do me a few more pencil sketches, Gabby, and then we'll accept you? Or is it me? Oh <laughs> uh, well, you know, we'll, we'll get shot here by by my peers in the industry. But um, I got where I am today because I didn't use pencils. <laughs> you know, I was told by my tutor um, in in second year, and and I, and I have to credit her with this that the fact that I was told to stop using my hand drawings because they were so bad. Mm. Uh, to try and find a different medium to communicate my ideas. And uh, I turned to technology and I'm where I am today, globally known because of my technology skills. Mm. Now, just because you don't use a certain medium that someone else uses or expects you to use doesn't mean that you could not, doesn't mean you can't be good at architecture. It doesn't mean you could be good at engineering or what have you. It just shows that there's a predefined methodology that's locked into teaching and education Mm. and you would see it in the UK with regards to, you know, we, we, we spoke today with, with various people and, and talked about some certain schools, not by any names, but just talking about schools that, uh, you know, were set up to not really provide subjects in say, for example, maybe an all girls school mm-hmm. um, that were aligned with this sort of teaching because sadly there's still that stereotypical kind of approach to, well, it's not a, uh, a set of subjects that an all girls school would be interested in. That's a bit of rubbish really. Mm. Uh, and it's the same thing all the way through. So it's a matter of as an industry and any educators, and educators probably don't get a chance to listen to this podcast. It's not targeted them for them. Mm. But for people within the industry that want to make change to the people that are in it and the opportunity to get a broader audience or a broader volume of people that actually can make a positive difference because I can tell you right now I saw uh, Gabby's 
uh, portfolio that she produced over two years in year 11 and year 12, essentially equivalent here in Australia, which is mm-hmm. a year 12, 13 in the UK. And I can tell you now that it would be better than most second, third year architecture students. Mm. doesn't bloody matter how you do it. Yeah. It's nothing to do with this whole concept of you have to sketch. Mm. Now I can I can tell you I could turn around and, and grab out of my drawer some yellow tracing paper. I still do that. But it's not the be all and end all. Yeah. And I think that's just demonstrating the challenges that we wonder why we have all of these issues within the industry with getting the right people and getting the right skills. It's because, you know what, she might not be. I didn't do art either. Mm. <laughs> I'm a technical-minded person. I do things to technical drawing. Uh, my father was a plumber. I knew I, I dug trenches on site. It, that's where I come from. That's my my knowledge that enables me to practice architecture well. Why do you need to draw sketches? And yeah. to me, that it's really disappointing that that is seen as a necessity to demonstrate that you're capable of joining an architecture program. Mm. And it's demoralising as well because she's a role model for future girls coming into the industry. 100%. And, and, and again, you know, architecture has the same issues. You know, women, uh, you, you know, th- th- there's been reports in the UK about women in architecture and, 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 and respect and so on. But but I think if you, if you imagine you're 18 years old, you've come all the way through school, you really have taken pride. People in industry have come into school and said, Gabby, that's amazing. What about this? Consider that roof. What about the aesthetics? So you can do aesthetics in software, guys. You know, you really can. I don't know why I said guys then. I think it's because most of the challenge has been from guys in architecture. I don't know. It's it's a bad term I use a lot as well. And yeah. I get I get I get reminded of my bad terminology quite often. Yeah, well, well it's probably because I'm too relaxed. That already. Yeah, maybe, or maybe it's just it's because just bad. I've got to, or maybe I've got to slap myself every time yeah, I do it. Yeah, yeah. Well, here's yeah my pound in the <laughs> in the profanity box. But but I think the the main thing for me, the message that 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 sends out is that if you are not arty, you can be so creative. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've seen the portfolio, the way that she's thought about people's needs. She's thought about everything, and to be rejected on the strength that you've not done enough sketch speaks volumes for that particular school of architecture and I won't name them, but they'll be getting a strong letter from me. <laughs> <laughs> now getting close to uh, closing our discussion out today, this evening, and, and thankfully your body clock is on uh, Brisbane time at the moment, but <laughs> for schools that really would like to get involved, what do you suggest that they do that in terms of uh, wanting to participate uh, in the design engineer construct program? Okay. Well, I think say I, I'm a surveyor. I have a teenage daughter and, you know, I'm talking a few years now. She's gone off to Lancaster Uni. She's a, she's a philosopher now, but, but if I was a a parent with a young person at home, a child, I'd be going to talk to that teacher and saying, look, I'd like to help. I want to see my child and her friends grow and understand this great world around them. And and at the end of the day, 40% carbon, we can't, we can't sniff at this. You know, we keep being told construction industry, cut, cut, 40%, cut. you know, um, so let's give them something tangible to do and problem solve. You know, I, I get strike on Friday, but hey, change the built environment. That might be a quicker route. So go to your school and talk to your teacher. But the one thing, and this is why I love Wavell State High School so much. The head teacher gets it. The teacher gets it. And therefore the children will get it and the parents will get it. 
you know, so there's, there's almost, yeah. And, and in terms of buy-in, it's almost like the, the, the complete jigsaw because we've in the past had teachers who are really massively passionate about this. The head teacher doesn't get it. It doesn't happen because he or she ultimately has the say. Yeah. Uh, we've had schools where the head teacher absolutely wants this, totally gets it and said, this would be so good for our children. And then you get down, it's generally DT teachers that teach this, some science, some maths, but generally DT. And you get down to the teacher and they want to stay making, you know, huge respect here, but they want to continue making pencil cases and spatulas and spice racks and I don't know, key rings. <laughs> and they're never going to be a deck teacher because you've got to have a little bit of vision and you've, but more than anything, you've got to be a little bit brave because I do understand that for most teachers, they've come from school to university to school again. Yep. So they've never had that feel of what the real world, this sounds really patronized. I have to be careful with my words here. So for anybody who knows teachers or is a teacher who's listening, this is not meant to be patronizing, but the built environment has so many applications of subjects that they teach. Yeah, They just not told that. And you don't know what you don't know. An old friend of mine always used to say that. How can teachers understand when they don't know what they don't know? And for the organizations that say, well, we want to help schools and we go and ask them what they want and they can't tell us. It's because they don't know what to ask for. They don't, you know, there needs to be that real um, deep support and understanding. So I think at the end of the day, if you're interested in your child doing the subject at school, talk to us. Really happy to take a, a, a call, a Skype, or, you know, whatever you want, because we're here to help. I've always said that Class of Your Own is a family. It's not a some, you know, faceless, profit-mongering, big company. We're, we're just a little organization who care a lot, you know. Um, talk to us. We'll help you in the way that you approach your school. We'll give you all the tools to do it. We'll talk to the teachers. We'll talk to the head teachers. We'll do your work for you. Just make the introduction because it just means being there and saying, I have this thing that might be interesting. It's about making people aware. But then another uh, taking away another com comment that was made by one of our, uh, you know, our meetings today, and, and this is one that I think that's one that actually sings true and needs to be considered, is that we don't even know the majorities of the types of jobs that are going to exist in 10, 20, 30 years' time. So okay. in many ways our education needs to adapt and, and, and move as dynamically as it can because it's very hard to shift curriculum. But moving things forward so then it's adapting to real life because then the curriculum is going to kind of need to roll continuously because the majority of the jobs of the future, we don't even know what they are yet. They mm. don't exist. Mm -hmm. I, I, I agree to a certain extent, but let's look at what we do know. It hasn't changed, has it? <laughs> well, well, actually, interestingly, I read a report from here in Queensland five years ago that had all these ambitions about the way that technical education was going to go. I'd love to talk to those MPs and say, did it change? We're five years on, did it change? But regardless of that, because I've not seen great change since I was at school in the late 80s, I'm that <laughs> old. Um, so I have hope and enduring hope. All I think you need hope and you need optimism but you also need a reality check. So let's talk about what we do know. We know we have an energy crisis globally. Mm -hmm. We also presume to know, there's a statistic out there that everybody will live in a city by 2050. Okay, so it's a simple question. Who's going to build it and who's going to design the energy or the fuel systems that will power it? Power it? Yeah. So we actually know that the jobs that will exist in the years that we don't know the title of, but they will be built environment because they have to build environment 
because this planet's going to burn otherwise. Yeah, well, it's a scary thing. It's a scary thing. I still believe that we can solve the problem, but the great solution will always be education. Well, you don't don't know what you don't know, right? You don't know what you don't know. (laughs) So again, I mean, we can talk about adult learning. Oh no, that's another session. (laughs) Educate the naysayers. But seriously, if you think about education, it's not just about kids. We could be educated better ourselves. For those people, let me tell you a very, 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 very quick story. I was working with an architect's practice in in, uh, Sirencester. They were supporting a school. It was a fairly, you know, fairly big practice. They were house building, hotels, leisure, really. And I remember the guy at the time, this was 2011, and the guy at the time went into school with me, saw all the kids using, you know, BIM software, let's just call it that. Yeah. And he came away and overnight he moved in from 2D to 3D at least. And I said, wow, that's progressive. What made you do that? And he said, how can I go and talk about the future of construction to future employees and still be back in a 2D world mm-hmm. using lines and, you know, hatching, <laughs> you know, and when the kids were talking about how can I improve the energy efficiency, my energy efficiency of my building, what about Sunpath? What about whole life cycle at 14 years old? He's going, oh my God, I don't do this stuff in my own practice. So he moved very, very quickly into BIM. Let's start with the end in mind. If we want kids to come through with all these skills, we need to be at least doing what the kids are doing. And starting a lot earlier. Yeah. Now, for people from the industry here in Australia that want to get involved. Yep. And they what can they do to assist this program and its rollout across Australia? Okay, well, it saddens me that in the UK we've got schools operating at the moment without a partner. Now, let's go back to that light bulb moment. I'm talking to kids. I'm a surveyor. I can impart my knowledge. We can have a lot of fun with measurement, lasers, the lot. You know, I thank God that I was in that position because if I hadn't have been, we probably wouldn't be here today. I wouldn't know you as my <laughs> weird twin somehow uh, down under. Um, so... When it comes to school support, social value, CSR, all that, you know, we do some great things. I'm not taking it away from anybody. You know, there's some great things happening and, and, and calling it social responsibility. So I want to say this, when you next do that great thing in school and little Johnny or little Sophie, um, little Ali or little Nathan has said, wow, that was cool. Do that again. And you say, I can't, time is money. I've got a building to build. You know, I, I won't see you again, but hey, I've sown the seed. Mm-hmm. The seed has to grow. And the seed, if it's not nurtured and watered and fed, will die. So you get where I'm going here. If you want to work and really, really nurture and educate the future of construction, that's our mantra, educate the future of construction. You'll not do that in a day. You do that in years. Yep. So you commit for years and it's not a huge commitment. So come and talk to us. And actually the Gabby's, Gabby Anderson's, the Lauren Curringham's, the Matt and Daniel Bateson's, the plethora of children have come through into strong, knowledgeable, skillful, digital adults have all come through our program. They're amazing. So the first recommendation is, you know, come and see what we do or come, sorry, come and see what they do. Yes. What Meet they Gabby. Doing, yes. You know, I said to Gabby, actually, I said, I wonder, you're a bit of a celebrity because you're a living, breathing product, end product of what we do. And she laughed, but she's seen that today, right? She did see that today. And I think that because of her, let's say, it's not immaturity, but it's because of the fact that she hasn't experienced what we've both gone through within both of our respective industries and our respective countries. She actually doesn't understand 
the importance or the relevance of her what she's achieved so far. And I think you're right. It's only when she steps foot into a university that doesn't just rely on sketching. Yeah. Or sets foot within a, a, a in, an industry partner, you know, steps in those doors and sees in real life what's actually going on, then she will actually realise her value. It's the hardest thing when you have nothing, no information or correlation to turn to to understand what does this actually mean to me? Mm. And and right now she doesn't understand what she's got. I think you're right. That's that's a huge compliment actually, isn't it, when you think about it? But they don't. You don't because when you're in isolation and and – I'm going to turn back to one of my former business partners from Fulton Trotter who was a sailing nut. And when you're sailing alone, you don't know how fast you're going. Mm. But it's only when you have another boat beside you that you can judge yeah. how fast you're going. Yeah. So for her, she has no understanding of where she sits relevant to her peers, Yeah. where her peers have not gone through this course. Yeah. Her peers have done a traditional um, schooling. Yeah. And, and they both sit side by side in university in first year and, the work she'll be turning out yeah. will be in years ahead of her. her and opposition. you're so right. Do you know, so it's just popping into my head now. So Sheffield Hallam University have a school of architecture and a lot of our students have gone there. Um, hello, Joey, if you're listening. One of our really special students is there. A lot of people um, are listening to this podcast, but don't so. listen to I, this now. You know what? Well, <laughs> they well, do she- now. Well, Sheffield Hallam University, uh, we were contacted by Sheffield and they said, how can we fill our university with DEC students because they almost come across to students who've not done DEC. You think about if you go to, to study architecture, you might have maths, physics, arts, or combination of, you know, traditional subjects mm-hmm. and your past dictates whether you're going to be an architect. Maybe you've done loads of photography of buildings, sketches of buildings. Maybe you've done digital of buildings. Oops, Daisy. <laughs> Sorry, I had to get We're there. We're having fun with that. That's <laughs> going to that's gonna be a weekly, week-long joke, isn't it? <laughs> Maybe. Sarah was telling me at the university, she said, when you get a class who've gone through, yes, a traditional academic route, but also had deck and maybe had deck for six years of their young lives. They've got to 18, they've had deck for six years through level one, two, three. They sit in a classroom with kids who've just done their straight, you know, academic subjects. Mm -hmm. And they've come through with a kind of almost peripheral understanding of what architecture is. And they've picked architecture because they want to truly. Because they watch grand designs. Maybe they watch grand designs. I'm (laughs) sure they do. And, you know, but, but either way, when deck students get in there, these are bright kids with all the same credentials. They've just happened to have done an applied built environment subject. And, you know, they're, they're seeing year one and they're going, yeah, we did this. And went, oh, when I was 14, I did this. And when I was, and she said, they almost come across, if you didn't know them, they come across as arrogant. They're not arrogant. They just have knowledge and skills that have been born since they were 11, 12 years old. It's not arrogance. It's just fact. Yeah. That's right. It's fact. So hence Sheffield Hallam have got two choices. Do we fill our classes with deck kids? So raise the profile of deck across Sheffield and hopefully more schools do it because their talent is incredible. I mean, our kids are getting first. uh, And I know that's the measure of children. What's your degree? What's it in? And what, what, Mm -hmm. what, what did you get? Sadly. But also um, Salford University. It was great to meet Robin from From uh, QUT today. Yeah. Robin came in and I said, okay. He said, oh, I, I work with Salford University. I said, do you know Jason Underwood? <laughs> Jason, hope you're listening. And Jason and I have known each other for years. And Jason actually did the, um, you know, the, the, the more 
technical route into into um, into BIM really. Actually, they have a master's in BIM at Salford. It's it's world leading program, and uh, and it was lovely to meet somebody else who was kind of on the same page because the School of Architecture for Salford. And again, Laura Yannicka, my God, Manchester City Council said if we could choose her buildings at 18 years old rather than one that we went for in the end, (laughs) we'd have chosen that building. It was so compelling. Laura's turned out an amazing student and Derek, the head of architecture at Salford, said, if I could fill my architecture class with deck students, I would be one happy, happy guy. So don't take it from me. Schools of architecture who aren't taking deck students or their digital proficiency, talk to your peers, you know, it's... And for me, I look at it and I think that I would have been more highly engaged in some of my subjects in high school instead of seeing high school as kind of a waiting room uh, to getting to university. And yeah. I know we could talk about this for hours and hours on end, um, but I think it's time to uh, put a close to this one for, for this conversation for today at least. But Alison, you know, thank you so much for your time today. And I know um, there'll be hundreds of listeners that you've called out to on this that hopefully become listeners and, and go back through the backstory, the backlog of all of the, the previous episodes. But for those that have not listened to my podcast before, there is a question that I ask every single one of my guests. And it's one that probably isn't – I'm really intrigued about this one because your professional career was almost pre-BIM in, in many ways mm-hmm. and there wasn't a lot of BIM involved when you were yeah. in your profession, but what not does, known as BIM anyway? That's for sure. Well, yeah. Well, that's a whole different story, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. But what does BIM mean to you? Okay, so if I hadn't been working in education, I would probably give you a whole different answer. Hundred percent. As a surveyor, we've always worked in three D, so it's not it's not about the three D stuff, the the modelling. You know, we can all produce a a, a nice model, mm-hmm. but I think for me, BIM gives you the opportunity to design for real. Okay. So I was thinking about this and, and yeah, so our kids are interested in cost and we can do that through BIM, but the greater cost to kids these days is cost of the planet and cost of the people. Mm-hmm. So if you think about, if you can deliver a building, I mean, I'm, I'm almost quoting the, you know, think about the BIM mandate. It was all about waste. It was all about energy efficiency and so on. And kids care about this stuff. We know they care about this stuff. So for, for a an opportunity to define what a true, truly sustainable building, uh, truly sustainable building could be like. To think about waste, to think about energy, to think about even being able to tweak your building by a few degrees for your solar gain and so on. You know that is so relevant to kids these days. So yes, they're interested in cost, but planets first. And if you really, really want a highly sustainable building, and you really, really want to hit that net zero twenty thirty. BIM is the only way, really. Yeah. You're not going to do it. And again, big up the architects, big up sketches and pencils and paper, but CAD is not going to do the job. That's so right. So what does BIM mean to me? It means truly sustainable buildings. And let's hope that we finally get there because it's a long journey to get people into this process. Uh, and we'll hopefully see more of our asset owners understand the importance of this through the life cycle of their asset rather than just seeing it as a process that's just used for design and construction. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to come up with a new mantra. It's maybe learn before you burn. <laughs> you know, <laughs> If the planet really is and we're contributing 40%, so 40% learn before you 40% burn. I don't well, know. Well, maybe it's called design, engineer, construct, learn before you burn. <laughs> I'll take that. <laughs> it's a new T-shirt for those that know I do a lot of T-shirts every conference <laughs> season. But Alison, thank you very much once again for your time today. My pleasure. It's been lovely. So for more information on Alison, 
class of your own and the design engineer and construct program so please head over to the podcast section of the skid website for further reading and even to the point that you know feel free to reach out to myself or Alison if you need some further assistance and want to participate in any way shape or form but i look forward to sharing our next podcast with you in a fortnight's time until then good luck with your digital transition powered by bond university's building information modeling program Digital transition.